3: Hello and welcome to History Rage, the podcast where our A-list historians get to take centre stage and hog the limelight with their own particular peeves. The podcast where myth and misconception fades to black and exits stage left. I am your regular host, Paul Bavel, and I am here with my ever-loyal co-host and daring dandy, that most scarlet of pimpernels, Kyle Glover. Oh
4: hello, hello everyone. I think I myself more of a Burt Rumble these days, but thank you for uh, comparing me to the Scarlet Pimpernel.
3: Certainly. You're an awful lot less elusive than one might like. But series nine, series bloody nine. I have it on good authority, good authority, that this makes us more popular than Game of Thrones. And we've done it without blood, incest, White Walkers, and might I add, hopefully, without a disappointing season eight. But we are kicking off series nine by hogging the spotlight of Georgian England. And it's all its foppery and screaming style and expression. And rolling out the red carpet for us this week, we have writer, translator and author of The First Celebrities, Peter James Bowman. James, as I understand you prefer, welcome to History Rage. Thank you very much for having me. Been a pleasure, a pleasure, if not an adventure to get you here. So you came to us as your publishers actually got in touch with us. So big shout out to Amberley Publishing here. Uh, But would you mind... Because you're a newcomer to quite a lot of our audience, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in the midst of Regency Britain. Well,
2: I suppose I I came to it via a a PhD that I did. And one of the things I looked at when I was doing my PhD, which was about German literature, was how German writers and travellers saw Britain in the 19th century. And one of the people I looked at, um, Prince Pukla Musko, who's a famous landscape gardener, and who came to england to look for a wealthy wife interested me so much that i carried on researching him and carried on researching um the experiences that he had in britain and that became the subject of my first book and that was the transition for me away from studying german literature to writing about um the regency period in britain
3: i would imagine as well that german literature is like less filled with powdered wigs and exciting duels and people losing their entire fortune on cards. The, the Germans I'd, were very serious people.
4: I don't know. The, those Hessians and those Prussians, you know what they get up to. <laughs> well,
2: they, they they did have a lot of duels, but they probably had a lot less of the other things that you've just mentioned, especially at that time. Britain was a then a much wealthier country than Germany. Germany was still split into lots of small states. Hmm. And so it didn't have a big metropolis like London for Britain. So it was it was a much more parochial sort of culture in Germany then, whereas Britain led the way in certain aspects of uh, uh, lifestyle, culture, and so on. And certainly there was a much more colourful social life in London than there would have been in any German city at that time.
3: Yeah, I can see why Regency Britain might appeal.
2: Yes, and a lot of foreigners came to Britain, not just from Germany, but from Italy and other countries to look for a wealthy wife, because Britain was so much wealthier than continental European countries then. And so that's what my first book was about. It was about foreign fortune hunters in general. And then I looked at this one individual, Prince Puttkla Musco, and told the story of his time in Britain. And that's what, as I say, that's what led me to... To the Regency and, and to, to reading memoirs and letters and diaries and whatnot from that period, and I've 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 have stayed with that ever
3: since. Well, well, thank you very much. And so let's let's kick off this rage by going from Prussian seriousness to downright British contempt. So let's start off. Then, could you please tell our baying mob of history ragers out there what you wish that people would just stop believing?
2: I think it it's probably the idea that celebrity is a very recent thing. A lot of people think that celebrity has only existed since we've had a film industry or since we've had the internet. They see it as something that's very contemporary, but actually celebrity has been around for a long time. Historians disagree about when it started, and there are some various different start dates that people have proposed, but there's quite a strong consensus that a real celebrity culture began in the late 18th century and early that 19th and there are various reasons for that. But it, whenever you whenever you want to say it started, it certainly isn't a recent thing. It's been around for a long time.
3: Okay.
4: Yeah. So one of the things that comes up is the difference between, say, a celebrity and someone who's famous, the difference between celebrity and fame. Could you explore that a little bit about that? What is the difference between the two?
2: Well, people often try to define what celebrity is by contrasting it with real fame. Uh, That's one of the ways that the academic discussion of the the subject has, has developed. But it's not really all that complicated. Both celebrity and fame are conferred on the individual by an audience, by a community. But the difference is that Fame is won by great deeds or political power or military glory or being a great poet or something like that, and it wins approval from people, and it's owned by right. The person who is famous clearly has a, a right to be famous, and it's fairly static. Celebrity is much more fluid, it's much more uh, transactional, because... The audience has a role in forming the celebrity. The audience expectation makes the celebrity behave in a certain way, and the celebrity has to please the audience. So it's much less something that is had by right and much more something that's that's in the gift of the, of the community around the individual person. Uh, and of course, celebrity also um, has a celebrity industry around it. There are lots of people who have an investment in making the celebrity a success, managers, agents, uh, photographers, hairdressers, journalists, uh, all sorts of people. And and that makes um, the celebrity more like a, 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 a an element in a large piece of machi- machinery rather than a great person who wins reverence. Yeah,
4: a sort of an ecosystem rather than a singular person.
2: Yes, I think so. And the strange thing about celebrity uh, is that nobody's in charge. You've got the celebrity individual who wants fame and wants financial rewards. You've got the celebrity industry, all these people who have a career based around promoting celebrities and who want the celebrities to succeed. And then you have the audience who need celebrities for self-validation, like to feel that they're in touch with celebrities, like to feel that they have a part to play in how the celebrity narrative unfolds. And so these three different groups, the individual, the industry, and the audience, all have agency, to use the technical term, all, all have some power to say what will happen, but n- none of them are in control. So it's it's a completely open-ended business and nobody knows what's going to happen next with any particular celebrity story.
3: Would it be fair for me if I've got my head around this right then to it's kind of sum that up by saying fame is, it is earned. You have done something that has brought about that fame, whether it be you have commanded the Battle of Waterloo, whether it be that you have, you know, written the 133 sonnets, or whether you've, uh, you know, you've got, got yourself elected as a prime minister and got yourself some you know, really far-reaching reforms went through or something like that. Whereas celebrity is almost entirely conferred on you by the audience. Uh, and you couldn't point to a single thing that you've done that brought about that. If I, if you look at today's celebrities, you know, an awful lot of them, an awful lot of them could be summed up as game show contestants. There's a lot of, if you take like, from I'd so my younger days now, the whole big brother phenomenon, you know, th- those people sat and basically didn't do anything for about 10 weeks straight uh, and became yeah, some of the most sort of well-known people in the world that were thoroughly in demand, but it's not like, you know, at least the people that you say in say pop stars or X Factor have at least turned up and done something. Would I be along the right lines?
2: Yes. I think, I think, I think that is right. Normally, uh celebrities have done something in the first place to bring themselves to attention, of course, there is this phenomenon today of of instant celebrities and celebrities who are created by game shows, as you say, and of course, you know people in the music industry just choosing somebody that they want to turn into a celebrity, somebody who ticks all their boxes what mm. you know for example with boy bands that that uh, that that we've all heard of. Going back to a slightly earlier period, this, this phenomenon of instant celebrity was, was, um, less prevalent and a celebrity had to have done at least something to bring themselves to notice in the first place. But of course, what they did was much less substantial, much more transient than what people who become really famous did. Um, whether they're military commanders or prime ministers, to use your example or whatever. On the other hand, it's often been said that people who have achieved real fame are, are people who've been born to it. If you look look at the great military commanders, the great political leaders and so on of the past, that you know, the Dukes of Wellington and, and people people like that, the Duke of Marlborough, um, they were people who were born to great privilege and they wouldn't have been able to become Prime Minister or 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 or, or, or generals. Uh, or something of, of that nature if they hadn't had all these advantages in the first place whereas celebrity is actually more democratic because people can come become famous as as boxers or as actors or, or 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 something of of that sort or by going up in a balloon or something it's open to more people so celebrity does have this this more more democratic element to it whereas whereas fame has been the the preserve of of a of a privileged group often not always but often
3: yeah okay so taking that definition then why why do you claim that the late 18th early 19th centuries was the era of the birth of celebrity is there a single factor is there a combination of things what are making these people celebrities
2: i think it's a combination of things the biggest the biggest factor of all is is the massive development of of the press, Britain had a, a, a completely free press. And it was a very boisterous free press with a lot of personal information in newspapers, good and bad, a lot of very pointed criticism of people, a lot of quite coarse criticism of people, but also a lot of praise, a lot of positive coverage of people. And there was an opening for people to bribe Journalists to write positively about them or, or pay them to write negatively about one of their rivals or something like that. So there was a bigger opportunity for, for self promotion. The, the, the rise of the, of, of a free press and a, a very powerful free press is, is the main thing. But there are many other things like, um, the development of a capitalist economy, which allowed for sophisticated advertising and therefore a culture of endorsements, which are a feature of a celebrity culture, celebrities endorsing things migration from the countryside to the towns, the development of a coffee house culture where ideas could be exchanged, uh, an increase in democratic ideas. People no longer accepted that they had a fixed place in society and they had to stick there. I mean, things weren't as open as they are now, but there was the the old sense of hierarchy, the old feudal hierarchies were were, were breaking down and and there were new avenues to fame. I've mentioned acting I've mentioned sport like boxing being a jockey or whatever uh, there were all sorts of things that people could do being a writer as well uh, that would that would bring them to notice and so there was there was a much more open exciting fast-changing social scene that uh, gave people opportunities to get themselves noticed
3: I, I'm intrigued there when you talk about the celebrities endorsing things because I've never considered that to be a 18th and 19th century thing. And I've now, I've now got this idea going around in my head of the Jane Austen cat sanctuary for like lonely women. Who, what sort of things are they endorsing?
2: Um, Well, just to think of examples from, from my own book. uh, One of the, one of the celebrities I write about endorsed a spa in South London, a sort of health resort People could become patrons of balls and social events. People could have songs dedicated to them, uh, musical compositions dedicated to them, books dedicated to them. Uh, Performers like jugglers or, or musicians could say that they had been performing at the home of the Duchess of this and the Countess of that people who made ice cream could say that uh, the, the, their list of customers included this that and the other person all, all sorts of all sorts of examples exist and it's not completely clear how this worked financially whether uh, presumably people were given money to endorse things yeah so that there was a financial incentive people were asked would you endorse this and then they got some money from the the ice cream maker or the or the um the leader of a of a of a military band or whatever, uh, and, and 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 then that person uh, who had been endorsed could advertise in the newspapers either with a direct advertisement, something that's obviously an advertisement, or something that pretends to be a story, advertorial. I think it's called today, where they pretend it's a, it's a newspaper story, but actually it's an advertisement, and they they mention uh, all the important and famous uh, and uh, high profile individuals who have uh, used their product, whether, you know, and it can be something completely, completely banal and every day, some sort of beauty product or something.
3: Yeah. So what sort of fields are our celebrities of this age era? I mean, today we've got, we're, we've we got the movie star, we've got the soap opera TV star, we've, we, we've got the, you know, stadium sellout singers, the boy bands that you, that you mentioned earlier, you know, back to the, Eighteenth and nineteenth centuries, none of those around. So, so who who are they, and what are they? What are they actually doing?
2: Well, you're right. It's a it's it's a it's a more limited range, but there's there's still quite a few possibilities. There are writers, uh, there are actors, there are leaders of fashion, famous beauties. Among men, there are the dandies, the well-known dandies. Because just uh, there are people in the world of sport. I mean, certain things that now are quite marginal, like like hunting, fox hunting. The 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 the, the well, it's illegal. Uh, yeah. But but in those days, the leading huntsmen and the, and the great shots were quite well known people. Boxers were extremely well known and celebrated. And then there could be there could be people in 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 various other. Um, fields of endeavour and of course the people were well known just for being in society Uh, people whose names were constantly mentioned in columns in newspapers that were entitled fashionable movements which just said what a certain coterie of well-known people were doing
3: yeah so so you've got you know you've got your actors and everything like that and so i would probably say the one that i would instantly think of the that kind of matches your description of celebrity. Probably Byron and that crowd. Is there is there anything special about him that marks him out from you know all the all the other poets or anything like that? So like why because I've read Byron and like, I mean I don't enjoy poetry at the best of times, you know, but and this is not the best of times. But his stuff is. It's poetry. It's, it's not much different to everybody else's poetry. Why is he so well-known?
2: I think he's an example of somebody who was as well-known for themselves as for their work, even in their day. And certainly now, looking back at him, he's better known as a person than, than for what he wrote. I think what's special about Lord Byron is that he, he was writing at a time when literature had become commercialised, It had previously been conducted in a different sort of framework with with a lot of aristocratic patronage of writers, uh, publishing by subscription. But Byron lived in a time when literature was much more commercial. And the interest of the readership was much more focused on the the author as a person. So the authors gave lectures, they went to salons, uh, reviews were very biographical. There were biographical dictionaries, there were lots of Portraits painted of of writers, and so writers were much more present as people. And what Lord Byron understood, and he d- he did genuinely understand this. It wasn't just something that happened accidentally. Is that he could merge his personality, he could merge his life with the heroes of his of his long poems. So his heroes were versions of himself. And then he, in return, in his everyday life, started aping his heroes. His heroes were like more glamorous versions of Byron himself. Mm. They were sort of disaffected, cynical, moody outsider types who were fed up with life but were very glamorous and very much admired. And that was a little bit like what Byron was was, was himself. But he he then started to ape his heroes. And so the heroes and the man grew together to create this Byronic persona.
3: So, and he 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 did that more than anybody else. Yeah. So, when, uh, and can you give us some examples of that?
2: Well, what people did when they read his poems, because they were interested in in him and his poetry together, people read his poems for evidence of his own life. So, if his heroes were sexually unconventional or dissolute or radical in their political opinions. Uh, disrespecting authority or whatever it might be readers thought that must be a description of byron himself and th- there's there's even a passage in one of the poems i can't remember which one which speaks of a, a man closely admiring his sister and one of the things that was said about byron is that he might be he might have had an affair with his half sister augusta lee and so people read the poems to understand the man And people were eager for stories about the man that could help them understand the poems, and people wanted to get to know him. In fact, lots of people, especially women, wrote letters to Byron in which they said how they understood him. This is a classic feature of celebrity culture. The the audience, an individual fan, wants to feel that they know the celebrity better than anybody else, that they have a special understanding for the celebrity and maybe can help the celebrity through his difficulties or her difficulties. And so Byron got these... Barrow loads of letters from female admirers. A lot of them s- said that they really understood him and and felt for him and felt the, the pain that he was going through and and w- wished him to be strong and and said how they could how they could possibly help him and comfort him and that sort of thing. And all that's part of the economy of celebrity.
3: How is he getting that message out there? Because obviously today you will you, you will be seen on TV. You know the. The, there's the whole paparazzi culture and things like that. But, you know, if, he, if you're through your writings, you, you're not exactly going to write a press release that says I'm sleeping with my half sister, unless possibly you're Byron. How is he, how's he disseminating this, this idea and this legend?
2: Well, he didn't have quite the sophisticated means that a celebrity would have today. But his publisher, John Murray, did quite a lot for him, talking about him At the regular dinners that he gave, where he invited all sorts of influential people. And when these dinners took place, there would be a a portrait of Byron on the wall. And he would often, Murray would often talk about Byron. Byron also made himself talked about by various antics, which he made sure got into the press. Like uh, there was a story that he drank out of a skull when he was at Newstead Abbey, which was his country home in Nottinghamshire. He went, one example that comes into my mind is that he went to a dinner party and refused to eat any food except mashed potatoes together with vinegar. Uh, and he had all sorts of wonderful food offered to him, but he would eat nothing except mashed potatoes and vinegar. And the host asked somebody else, well, what, why is he, what, why is he eating like this? Why is, why is he on this diet? And the other person said, well, he will carry on, uh, with, with this sort of diet for as long as you notice. And he's probably going <laughs> to his, his club in London and have a hearty dinner now. But he's just, he's behaved in this way so that people will notice him. He also had an early form of, of agent. He had two in succession. The first was called Dallas and the second was called John Cam Hobhouse. People who managed his relationship with publishers, wrote letters on his behalf, uh, tried to um, lead him in the right direction tried to get good stories about him into the press and so on so he had he had people to help him but most of all he just did things which made sure made sure that he was talked about exactly how information about private individuals got into the press is actually not certain but it seems that newspapers had runners people who went about looking for stories and who uh, went to talk to various people who might know something juicy about about somebody else and you could Seek these runners out yourself and give them a story, which they would then get get printed in a newspaper. and And exactly how the mechanics of that worked are a little bit unclear. But there were ways of getting yourself into the press, and that's that's one of the things that he did.
3: And were there any other writers that really hit celebrity, or is it just him? It's him more than anyone, but there was a general
2: culture of of writers as celebrities, as I've said, because the, the approach of readers to writers was very personal. There was a man called John Clare, who was known as the Northamptonshire peasant poet, who was a man of humble origins, of, uh, an agricultural labourer who started writing poetry. And people became fascinated by him and actually went to visit him at his home without invitation. They just sought him out and tried to sort of find him. And there was uh, another female poet who was known as the milkmaid poet because she'd been a milkmaid. And so people got these labels slapped on them by their publisher who tried to market them as a particular type of writer. And then people who were very enthusiastic about them wrote them letters or tried to, to seek them out. Some people were, you know, blatant attention seekers. They behaved oddly at parties. Um, they pretended that they were dying, all sorts of ways of trying to get attention. And then some people rejected all this and saw it as trivial and and uh, superficial and unsatisfactory, and tried to withdraw from the world and write for future generations, like William Wordsworth. But this pose of of, of stern rejection of celebrity itself became a persona so when wordsworth decided he wasn't going to go to any literary parties or have anything to do with writers and publishers and he was going to leave london and go and live in the lake district that itself became something that people talked about and they said well why is he doing this will he be able to write poetry when he doesn't have any contact with with um with metropolitan culture mm. uh, and, and and so even even the persona of rejecting celebrity becomes a kind of celebrity persona
4: Just to quickly return to Byron for one second, um, when I th- if I could sum him up in one sentence, it's that famous phrase mad, bad, and dangerous to know. Is that anything that was in the papers or said about him in his own lifetime? Was that something that's been added on to his story in later years?
2: Oh, no, that was that was that was said about him in 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 his own lifetime. That that quote is from Lady Caroline Lamb, who was well, they had a kind of affair she really threw herself at him and he became tired of her very quickly, but she was so besotted with him, although she was actually a very self-regarding and slightly strange person, but she decided that she wanted to be deeply in love with him, put it that way. And she, she compromised herself really and disgraced herself. And then when he finally rejected her and wanted nothing more to do with her, she wrote a, a novel in which he was a, th- a thinly disguised character. The novels called Glenarvan, and and that's where, and she's she's the one who came up with that quote. And that novel, of course, was another way in which he could come before the public and and be, be famous without any input of his own. Because although she criticised him and she she prote- portrayed him as uh, a, an immoral character, as a cruel character. His publisher, John Murray, whom I've mentioned, quite rightly said to Byron, This won't do you any harm at all, because it'll just make people talk about you all the more and be all the more fascinated with you. And so he was able to he was able to be unconventional, to, to threaten general notions of morality, and be seen as a sort of dangerous person, as a threat to established uh ideas of of good conduct and good morality but he he never pushed it too far so that he he was never rejected outright until the moment when he got married and then that marriage went badly wrong and his wife and his wife's lawyer started briefing against him that was the point when somebody who had been seen as uh, refreshingly rebellious and unconventional and interestingly different suddenly came to be seen as too morally depraved, and at that point there was a large-scale rejection of him. That happens with celebrities now, there's, yeah. that, can, that they can go too far in some way. They can overdo it. They can overstep the mark. And then there's a sort of general reaction against them, and they're denigrated. There's this quite cruel mass denigration of, this, of the celebrity, and everybody wants to, to have nothing to do with them. And that happened to Byron after his marriage and after his wife started criticising him after they'd become estranged. And his wife's lawyer and his wife's family, and Byron had to go abroad because he was, you know, he was in such hot water.
4: An early, an early case of all publicity is good publicity until the police or lawyers start to get involved.
2: Yes, that's right. I mean, he, he, he. A lot of people couldn't understand why why he was so popular because they thought that he was, you know, a a, a, a cruel or uh, immoral or Politically dubious character, but he he managed to he managed to make his unconventional behaviour fascinating until, as you say, it, it it went too far and suddenly people had to felt they had to criticise him and, and and condemn him for what he'd done. So he was in this strange position that the things that he'd been doing for ages, like being sexually dissolute and and drunk and fighting and that sort of thing, which had worked well for him, suddenly he, people were turning against him. And I think that's a, that's that's an experience that celebrities can have. They have to try and gauge what the public will take, and sometimes they can misjudge it.
4: We've already covered this a little bit. What kind of person is a celebrity at this time? As we said, quite a lot of celebrities today are actors, musicians, performers, that kind of thing. But who is it during the 18th, 19th century?
2: Um, well, a lot of celebrities then were actors, which is also the case now. And that's, I suppose, because actors um, have to play roles and interact with an audience for a living. It's a basic part of their job. And that's what a celebrity does as well. A celebrity plays a role because the celebrity persona is always a bit different from the the private person. So there's a bit of role playing in being a celebrity. And of course, there's, there's playing to an audience. It's important to say at this time, obviously, there weren't films that weren't moving pictures, it's, it's important to say that the theatre was colossally popular. People were really passionate about the theatre and arguments about the theatre and about actors and about managers or about the cost of getting tickets, you know, were, were, were really uh, heated in the public domain. People loved the theatre, they, they loved actors, and they were very interested in them. And, of course, um, when actors achieved a certain level of success, people became interested in them, as people, and a little bit like what I've said about Lord Byron, the the best known actors were able to meld, or merge, or combine their personalities, that uh, their own their own lives with some of the characters that they played. Uh, for example, they had themselves painted, dressed up as as, as 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 the characters that they played on stage, or they often read out they often read out addresses to the audience, which they read out as themselves. But making reference to the to the parts they played so a lot of actors who specialized in certain sorts of roles like villains or heroes or or uh, young lovers or or whatever they came to be seen in that way in their in their own life as well so that the person and the role come together in a sort of fruitful way that stimulated people's imagination and made them made them interested and actors were also an example of what I've said about the democracy of celebrity, because a lot of them were from very modest backgrounds and by luck and by hard work and by ability, they became very wealthy, very prominent and um, constantly written about. So it was an example of how you could get on in the world by means of celebrity.
3: Can you give some examples of you know, actors that really pulled that off? Well, one
2: very transient example of a celebrity actor is a a boy actor called William Betty. He was pushed hard by his parents, an example of that sort of role of the pushy parent in creating celebrities that we've also seen more recently. (laughs) And he caught people's eye because he was able to play adult roles, Shakespearean roles, when he was only a boy, when he was 11, 12, 13 years old. And he did it fairly well. He probably wasn't as good as the adult's, but he was surprisingly good for a boy of his age, and he, there was a sort of mania about him. People fought to get into the, into the theatre to see him act. Uh, the people were, were were got into states of delirium when he was on stage. They were so excited, and it was all a sort of a, a buzz created out of novelty. I mean, that's one of the things about celebrity. It's about glamour and novelty rather than more substantial qualities. And this boy actor, William Betty, as he grew up to be a man, his his reputation started to fade. And then when he really was grown up, when he was in his 20s, people realised he was quite a mediocre actor and they lost all interest in him. It was the mere fact that as a boy he'd been able reasonably well to play adult parts that had, that had, that had started this craze. Uh, then there were people who were, were interesting in their, in their private life. Um, there was a, a comic actress called Elizabeth Farron who um, received a proposal from the Earl of Derby to become his mistress. And she she rejected this. A lot of actresses were maintained in some way. You know, they had wealthy, wealthy lovers, but she refused. And he was so in love with her that he he got into a sort of informal engagement with her. He he was actually married, but his wife was mad. She had to go into an asylum, I think. And he he entered into this informal engagement with his actress. And she would only meet him if her mother was present, and she did everything on her own terms. But he was so wild about her that they had this engagement that went on for over a decade. And then, when his wife finally died, she he married her, and she became the Countess of Derby, which was a sort of fairy tale because she'd been born in poverty. So that's 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 an example of somebody who um, was famous for their private life. Another case uh, where the, the the parts and the, the the private character came together was was Mary Robinson, who played roles on stage where she was quite seductive and attractive. And she became a sort of sex symbol in her private life as well. And she actually had an affair with the Prince of Wales. And so she, she, she was was fascinated people for the way she dressed and for the relationships that she had and so forth, and became a sort of, well, like as I say, like a sort of sex symbol, which I suppose is something that we also see with with some celebrities now, they're they're more famous for being very attractive or and, and and having people desire them than they are for anything that they've done. And she was the case of that. But obviously as she got older, that the role became harder and harder to sustain for her. And she ended up becoming, you know, obscure and forgotten, and she actually died in middle age. So there are, various, there are various different stories. You know, there are narratives, and of, of course they're oversimplified when, when we just present them in a short way. But there are all sorts of narratives where people combine their, their real selves with, the, with their roles on stage in a way that's fruitful for them and turns them into
3: celebrities. Thank you, Nat. I'm particularly struck by the case of Harriet Mellon, who's the first of the, the, first of the five first celebrities um, in the book. Because her, she really comes out of like the bottom of the ladder right up to the top. So, can you tell people what what was so special about her and why people were fascinated by her?
2: Harriet Mellon. Well, her basic story is that she was she was born the daughter of a, of a wardrobe keeper in a company of travelling players, so she was born right at the bottom of the theatrical ladder. And she became a moderately successful actress, but not a very successful one. And then the quite elderly banker, Thomas Coots fell in love with her. And after his wife died, married her. And he was completely besotted with her, thought she was a wonderful person, not just beautiful, but also kind and and a sort of heartwarming presence. And he really admired her and thought the world of her uh, as, a, as a person as well as as a, as a woman. Uh, as a beautiful woman, and when he died, he left her his entire fortune—not just in terms of money, but also in terms of his share in the bank. He was the dominant partner of Coote's Bank, which he founded, as I as I think I said. And then she she was at that point the wealthiest woman in the in the country, and she married a second time a man who was twenty years younger than her the Duke of St Albans, so she became titled, she was extremely wealthy, and she used the money that she had to to give to charity, to have lots of parties, and to go about making herself talked about. And she saw herself as somebody, when she looked over her life and and the way she wanted to present her life, she saw herself as somebody who, by being kind and warm-hearted and bringing happiness into people's lives, had been successful. She'd been successful by being good, by being, by, by bringing happiness to people, including her husband. So she saw that as her life story and she tried to present it that way. She, she self publicized a lot. She got herself talked about in the papers and some people bought that story and some people didn't. Some people thought that she was a phony, that she was just somebody who'd been lucky. She was a self promoter. So there was debate about her, which is an important part of of being a celebrity you have to be talked about and obviously not everybody should be saying the same thing different people should be saying different things so that there's a real discussion and that keeps the thing going that keeps the thing fresh and she was talked about she was praised but she was also criticized a lot of people who had been born to the purple regarded her as a parvenu somebody who shouldn't really have ever become a duchess at all and so she was, she was, she was talked about. But what I think is most interesting is the way she saw her life as a kind of parable that if you can be good, you can be successful. And she tried to, she tried, and she also authorized a, a biography soon after she died. Somebody wrote a biography with notes that she left and, and, and told the story of her life in, in, in this way on her terms. And so she, we talk about a celebrity narrative. She had, she had a celebrity narrative and, um, she wanted people to learn a lesson from her life, in a way.
4: If if Harriet Mellon was the first of the five portraits of early celebrity you talk about in your book, would you be able to go into a little bit about who the other four are and why people were so interested in them? What made them the earliest celebrities?
2: Well, it was so hard to choose people, and I, there are so many more people I, I could have written about, and I've got a list of other people I, I, I could... Talk about. I think I wanted to, I think I wanted to to, to choose people who were active in different areas of life. So we've talked about Harriet Mellon. The second person uh, that I wrote about was uh, Princess Leaven, Dorothea von Leaven, who was the wife of the Russian ambassador in London. And she obtained a very dominant position in society by being scarily refined and sophisticated and superior and cultured. And she frightened people by her. Her, her, her superiority and became very dominant in high society as a patroness of balls, as a leader of fashion, as somebody that people wanted to be in with. And she used that influence uh, for what she was really interested in was which was being a sort of diplomatic intriguer. She was an informal diplomat. her husband was a bit of a cipher. He wasn't really a very interesting or even capable man. Um, and she became the real Russian ambassador, but she had all this sort of network of contacts, uh, including men that she had affairs with, like Prince Metternich, the Chancellor at the Austrian Chancellor. And so she used she's an example of somebody who used her celebrity and cultivated celebrity to enhance her status and use it for what she really wanted to do, which was to become a uh, sort of diplomatic agent for the Russian Empire. And very successfully, she had quite a role in various events in European politics. The third chapter is on the third biographical chapter is on the Duke of Buckingham and he had two claims to fame. The first is that he was the last person to have a private faction in parliament before the Reform Act of 1832. Part, voting, the elections were very corrupt and some seats had tiny electorates of people who were basically owned by a local owned by a local landowner. Uh, and who, who could get his tenants, the, the electors to vote the way that he wanted them to. And the Duke of Buckingham controlled, uh, anywhere between nine and about 15 parliamentary seats at various times and, and ran this Grenville faction. Grenville was his family name. And he just used it for, to, for self-aggrandizement and, and to make himself more powerful. And the second thing he did was to try and be like a sort of, feudal Grandee in his, his home county, Buckinghamshire. He, he lived at Stowe, which is now a school, and he had all these enormous banquets and and, and, fi- and festivals. He had his own private army, effectively, Buckinghamshire militia, and basically no, nobody could move in that county without his say-so. The, the small town of Buckingham he also more or less owned, uh, and he set himself up as this, as this, this, this great potentate in his own area. And both in both because of both of these activities of his, he got through his enormous income and ended up having, you know, quite serious financial difficulties and having to place his his estate into the hands of trustees and just be you know given us a fairly small income to live on. So in his last years were quite sort of sad, really. But he had he had tried to present himself in these two ways and of course publicised what he was doing all, all all the way. The fourth person. So Lady Charlotte Berry uh, had two episodes of being famous. The first as a very young woman, when she was the greatest beauty of her generation, according to what people said, and a leader of fashion who introduced new styles of dress. And then after she'd made two marriages for love to men who had no money and ended up a widow with with, with no money in middle age, she had a second period of being famous as a novelist. She wrote novels of high society called Silver Fork novels, which are quite trashy but were popular at the time and She also published a diary of of, of her time as a courtier, uh, in which there were lots of indiscretions about the royal family so she had two two bites of the cherry of celebrity and then the last one is is Sir Thomas Lawrence, the portrait painter, who is still still quite well known now, so arguably he's more than a celebrity, but in his day, a lot of people thought that his painting style was quite meretricious, quite um, showy, and that he was just uh, somebody who tried to please his clients. He was enormously rich and successful, but he seemed to be less devoted, uh, according to what some people thought, to the highest ideals of art than, than, than some other artists. He also had various things in his private life and that he had to try and keep secret he's an example of how celebrities have to deal with rumor there were rumors that he was homosexual that he was a um, a deep gambler that he that he lost lost a lot of money there were, it was said of him that he uh, tricked his clients by making them pay half of the fee uh, when he started a painting and then he didn't he didn't finish it and he kept starting new paintings just to make more and more money so there were things that were said about him that he had to he had to he had to counter, so he had to try and control the narrative. And as for his reputation, well, he's he's fairly known, but he's not as well known as some other people like Constable and Turner, who at the time of of, of his activity were much less well known than he was.
3: Well, thank you very much for that, James. I mean, I do love a Regency episode, but that has absolutely shone a spotlight on uh, on a variety of people, and and I I like to. There are a wealth of differences, but there are such a wealth of similarities uh, as well. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm one of those people that very much does think, you know, people don't really change. And uh, and that, that's made me smile, that comforting feeling of, yeah. So thank you very much. Have you have you enjoyed yourself?
2: I have. It's been very nice to, 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 to talk about um, my book with people who read it and know about the subject. It's been a real joy. Thank you very much for having me.
3: You're welcome. Well, Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to know more about James's work, then you can start, as every good person should, by reading The First Celebrities. That is available from Amberley, and we will have links to that uh, in the show notes. And no doubt, look out in the future for when James is writing about The Second Celebrities and so much fun further down the line. But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, if you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at History Rage or individually. I am at Paul Baffle.
4: And I am at Kyle G History.
3: And if you're loving this, then why not join the angriest of critics on Patreon? Your £5 per month will get you early episodes, entry to all of our prize draws, the invite to put questions to future guests, and of course, the coveted History Rage mug. And you can subscribe at patreon.com forward slash History Rage. But until next week, from all of us here, stay angry. Bye-bye.
4: Bye-bye.